Welcome back to episode three of the Photographer Mindset Podcast. I'm your host as always, Seth Macy, and today I'm stoked because I'm joined by Adam Danny, a Buffalo, New York photographer who might be one of my favorite photographers that I found on Instagram. Killer compositions, killer editing skills, and a really genuine dude. We hadn't actually conversed outside of the Instagram DM box until about half an hour ago. But uh, honestly, man, just a genuine fan of your work. Glad to have you on the show. Why don't you go ahead and start off by telling people a little bit about your backstory and how you got into photography? Sure. Well, first off, I appreciate all the kind words and for having me on. I've been looking forward to this one, especially yeah, um, because we've talked, uh, you know, through Instagram and everything. Yeah, we had never actually met until now. Yeah, exactly. Just a couple of troubleshooting before this. So, um, yeah, I am 29 years old. I'm based out of Buffalo, New York, which is going to be on the Western side of New York state. A lot of people, when you hear New York, you just think of New York city, but it's much more vast than that. So for me, I'm pretty close to Niagara Falls, uh, 20 minutes away. I can actually see Canada from right on right now. (laughs) Yeah. Go, go Canada. You're on the bad side of the falls. I know there's like not much going on over there. Hey, but it's more natural, right? We don't have all the high rise buildings. There you go. Anyways, continue. Sorry to interrupt you. So, um, I got into photography about four and a half years ago. I think it was, it was just kind of a decision I wanted to, I, I made almost like spur of the moment. I had been traveling a lot growing up. I went to Japan when I was 16 years old. And then went throughout Europe, kind of like in early college. And then I got an Instagram around when it first came out. And Mm -hmm. I started following these landscape photographers, these travel photographers, and seeing these places that I had been to in a completely different light. Right. You know, in this this creative light. And I'm like, yeah, wow. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, that's something that would like really interest me. And I played music growing up. Like, I was a drummer. So there was a little bit of... Yeah. And so like there was a creative part of me and I was kind of missing that. And some of my friends were into photography for their local university newspaper. So they would do Mm -hmm. like sports photos, stuff like that. So I started talking with them a lot about it. And then I just decided like one day, screw it. I'm going to go all in. And I didn't buy. I love that. Yeah, I didn't buy like some two, three hundred dollar cheap camera to start. Like I oh, went really? with a, you went all out. Yeah, not like a big full frame, but I went like a Canon 7D Mark II, which was like at the time like a thirteen hundred dollar camera. That's awesome. Yeah, and it kind of just like forced me to continue. Cause for the first like couple months I was like really into it, and then I was like having a little bit of buyer's remorse. I'm like, I can't believe I did this. And then, but it forced me, I'm like, I need to use this. I need to get back out and keep doing it. And it just right. got, and it kept getting me into it. So yeah. that's cool. I think that's neat that you were exposed to these places at such a young age. I don't think a lot of people get the opportunity to go to Japan. And I was listening in your individuals podcast, hike Mount Fuji at age 16. That's just crazy. So I think you're yeah, very, def- very influenced from your adolescence to just already being a creative and exploring music it just kind of it's one of those things where it's in the cards it's going to happen yeah i definitely feel very lucky uh, i'm very blessed to be able to have done 
that stuff at a young age. So, and it just like, it, it opened my eyes to completely different cultures than I had ever experienced before. Right. So, yeah. I think this is really what photography is for a lot of people. It's being able to see that place in an entirely new creative light. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to sit there and stare at Seljelensfoss in Iceland with your eyes. Being able to relive that through a creative photograph forever is oh, really yeah. awesome. Yeah, and it's just there's so much to a photograph that is never going to be seen in the actual photograph, right? Like the getting to the to the spot, the waiting around, the talking there's with so your friends. There's so much that goes into it. Yeah, and so like the, I when Brett and I went to Iceland last year, we took this awesome photo in front of um, Skogafoss, you know, that really popular waterfall. Yeah. And it, it's like a cool night shot with stars and we have somebody holding up a flashlight. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking about like the story that happened right before that. Like it was completely cloudy. We were sleeping in a camper van. It's middle of the winter. We all lay down in the bed after taking off all our snow gear. I look out the back window really quickly and I see the brightest stars I'd ever seen. I'm like, Oh my God, this is incredible. And we all instantly got up, put our clothes on at like two in the morning and went back outside and started shooting. See, man, that's what it's all about. I don't know about you, but when I get back from a trip, I take my week or two where I'm kind of burnt out from taking so many shots and editing. And then I, there's this afterglow that just hasn't gone away for me. Like I have Iceland afterglow. I have Costa Rica afterglow. And you just think about, man, that was so cool being on the beach and in Manuel Antonio and being two feet away from wild iguanas. Or (laughs) I have a photo where I was dangling my feet off high foss. I was maybe four feet away from dying. I can't wait to be 85, not in a young body anymore, but just look back on that and smile. I really think that's what photography is about going beyond just taking good pictures. It's yeah, I completely agree. I would say it's helped me live more. You know what I mean? Like it's, I've experienced life more than just going out to bars and I don't know like what other like 20 year olds really do, but it's way better to buy experiences than it is to, in my opinion, buy things. Yeah. And it's just like those moments you know, at some point you're never going to, you're never going to get them back in that time. You're never going to no. get back. So never. why not make the most of it? Those are the, you remember the most, like, you know, at one point I had a really cool Jeep that I liked a Jeep Wrangler and I all souped up and everything. <laughs> I just bought one. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah. As we're talking about not buying stuff. Yeah. No, they're fun. <laughs> but it's yeah. like, I, I remember more of the like hassles with that than anything. Yeah. And you don't really like talk about that when it comes to traveling and the experiences, right. right? You think about all the good stuff that happened and then it just fuels you to keep going. And you're like, Oh my God, this was so much fun and so cool to do. Like I want to do it again and again and again. Right. I've been on a trip with my girlfriend and, and we're already looking up spots for the next destination. Oh yeah. It's addictive. <laughs> it's super addictive. I got to ask you just looking at your page right now, Obviously, I'm very familiar with it, but it's always nice to look at. You just have some of the coolest landscape shots I've seen. I'm honestly just a genuine fan of your work. I know Moody Moody is overused, so I won't I won't use that. I would say it's 
individualistic. It's very, I could look at a photo and know if it was yours or not. Let's say that. Well, that's, that's probably like the ultimate compliment, right? Like, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, my question to you is why landscapes? Do you think people just stumble into certain genres of photography by accident? Or do you think they either consciously or subconsciously go looking for them? Because I mean, there's nothing stopping you from being a portrait photographer. There's nothing stopping you from being an urban photographer. There's nothing stopping you from kind of being a hybrid. And I would say you are a little bit because you've got splashes of wildlife on your page. But what is it about landscapes that you're drawn to? I think uh, your one question, if people kind of stumble into it or choose to do, I think it's a little bit of both. For me, I grew up going, like I was a boy scout and an Eagle scout. So I was, I was out camping every weekend, pretty, or not every weekend, like one, one weekend every month. And then like a couple weeks during the summer. So I was exposed to all this outdoor scenery, um, especially around the New York area from a young age. So then it just kind of like when I started following certain photographers and like researching photography stuff that just resonated the most with me. Like, cause I initially thought about sports photography. You know, I said earlier that I got into photography by talking with some of the people that were working for the university paper. Well, they were mm-hmm. like sports photographers and I thought that was really cool. So that's what I initially thought. But then as I started researching it more and coming across landscape and I'm just, that's when I would like, I would see a photo and feel emotions from it, right? Like I would see a that's cool when sports you know. photo. I'd, yeah, exactly. Like I would see a cool sports photo. And I'd be like, wow, that's awesome. But then I would see this incredible landscape with the most perfect lighting. And it would just take me back to certain moments in my childhood mm-hmm. that resonated with me. And that's, then I just instantly fell in love with landscape. And even now I'm starting to like get more into wildlife. Cause I really appreciate that as well. Wildlife to me, almost gives you the it's like a balance between landscape and sports because you're outdoors but then you have the thrill of the fast action that wildlife can bring as well right yeah it's gone in a second you can miss it you can miss Mm -hmm. that moment i think it's interesting what you said is it just arises emotion in you the really cool thing is i bet you good portraits do that for portrait photographers it's just whatever makes you tick right Mm-hmm. It's the same. I was talking about this on one of our previous episodes. It's the same with music. It's the reason why some people like hip hop, some people like country music, some people like both. It's just, we're all very unique and it's cool. Yeah. It's cool to hear that for you. And you're, you're influenced from a young age too, which definitely you're exposed to the outdoors early and you probably have a, a great appreciation for the earth and the wildlife that's in it. I think most of us do. Yeah, Definitely. Um, Boy Scouts especially kind of just like instilled that in me and it's like seeing like the effects of climate change lately. Yeah. Um, I, like kind of like my overall arching goal of photography, I feel like is to somewhat bring awareness to the, to the situation, the, the global uh, climate change situation that we're experiencing. It's a little mm-hmm. bit like it's, it might be hard to do here in New York to show like direct impacts of it. Right. I feel like you need to go to places that are experiencing it head on, whether it be in the Arctic circle or some of the stuff like uh, right. Asia. Um, but even still, I just feel like if I can per- show awesome landscapes, even around here, it'll get people inspired uh, to want to preserve it. Exactly. 
That's what I was going to say. It's just, you might not be photographing places that are necessarily directly impacted because it's hard to photograph a temperature rise or it's hard to photograph melting ice unless you're going to Antarctica, but you can still have that influence by, you know, taking a photo of a waterfall and subconsciously that's going to resonate with people. Let's, let's keep things that way. Yeah. And it's the other thing too, like my concern is kind of, that's a balancing act as well. It's because a lot of people then just want to get out to get that photo for, for Instagram purposes or whatever. And they almost disregard yeah. the whole nature side of it. And I know that's been a problem. Iceland's experienced a lot as yeah. well. Yeah. So I, Trampling you know, that's the other thing. Stuff. Like, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Going off the path um, mm-hmm. that they have set and you're, you know, you're destroying living things around it. Yeah, man. It's, it's so sad. There's a place here in Ontario. It's a lavender farm. And they had, they've had to put all sorts of sanctions and roadblocks and stuff because just Instagrammers are flocking there and just fucking up all the lavender just yeah, for the gram. Yeah, it's just like sad. Right. Exactly. It's it like is sad. None of it's, it's not worth it to, no. to do that, to, to get that photo and then potentially have other people go and disrespect it. So, you know, that's kind of something that I've been really struggling with personally is like, going to these locations and getting these popular shots or even spots that might not be popular now, but if you share it and then it starts picking traction, more and more people will go there. You know, you get asked that a lot on Instagram when you post a location, like, Oh, where is this? Like, how can I Mm -hmm. go there? And and stuff like that. So it's funny. I was talking about this on my last episode. We were talking about people posting or not giving away their locations and photos whether that was because they don't want somebody else going there and getting the same shot, whether they're being protective of the land or whether they're trying to reach a broader audience through similar means of hashtags. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I think it's probably a combination of all of that. Yeah, probably. And like for me, uh, I just recently posted a bald Eagle photo that I took this past weekend. Yeah. And I'm not like, especially going to give away the location of that just because I don't want a ton of people going there and then potentially disturbing. Right. So it's not from a selfish place. No, not at all. Yeah. I, in my opinion, you're a very good online networker. I think you get your work in front of a lot of people. You were just on the art of visuals podcast recently, which is a huge account and you definitely deserve that with your photos. You've landed a fair amount of features if I'm not mistaken. Um, maybe you could shed some light on how to go about landing features on big accounts on Instagram and if they're necessary or not for your audience growth. Well, I'll start out with how I got on the AOV podcast because I've been asked that a couple of times. I had been, I think I sent an email to the Art of Visuals email address. Um, right. I had a question about, they had an app, they have an app for the iPhone. I was having problems with it. So I sent him an email and I noticed the person that responded was Prince, who is the Mm -hmm. the co-founder of AOV. And I started just like talking with him very briefly. And he was just thanking me for being part of the community and Mm -hmm. whatnot. And then I was listening to one of his podcasts and I always assumed that he wanted people, hundred thousand followers, a million followers, whatever, like big time people to be on there. But then he's like, I'm looking for people with cool stories that can provide insight into them. It's not about 
being the biggest account or anything like that. And the one person he had on there had like 7,000 followers, you know, which relatively is small uh, right. compared to some other people. So I literally just sent him an email and said, Hey Prince, listen to this one episode on your podcast. And I think I have a pretty cool story. Um, it's in relation to, you know, my dad passing away and how it got in, how it eventually led me into photography. And I think it's a little bit of a different story right. than a lot of people you have on there. And I still work full time. And, and then I sent him the link to my Instagram and he looked at my stuff and got back to me. He's like, dude, I would love to have you on. There. That's awesome. And so it's just like me just sending an email. You know what I mean? Like you never know what you really can happen. Don't. Yeah. No, like I, I did not expect for him to even entertain that idea. I think it comes down to just being genuine, right? Yeah. You didn't expect anything out of it. You just kind of were, aside from having great images, it's just, you know, you're just telling your story, you're emailing them. I don't know. It's, it's very simple. Yeah. Cause the other thing too is, you know, most, I bet you majority of their listeners aren't people that have tens and tw- uh, hundreds of thousands of followers. Definitely not. So it's like, like average, you know, weekend uh, photographers and what. And so when they see somebody on there that's kind of similar to them, it, it'll resonate more with them. Absolutely. And the people who are, I bet you a lot of the people who are following that account, they think people like yourself and other people who are going and seeing these great places and taking amazing pictures are living the dream. And I think a lot of people are living vicariously through creative photographers on Instagram. And there's nothing wrong with that if you're bringing joy to people, right? But it is cool that you're very down to earth and people can identify with a story or this person I look up to is is very similar to me and has their own hardships and such. Yeah. And the other thing I too like wanted to, you know, get out there is that you don't have to be a full-time photographer to go out and travel and see things and still get cool photos. I work full-time and still like it's about maximizing your time. Yeah, because I, you know, it's one thing. No matter how much money you have, you can never get time back. You can't buy time. Yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah, so you you just need to maximize it now, and like you have the ability if you put your mind to it to get out and do what you want to do, right? Yeah, it's totally up to you. I hear that all the time from people, um, whether it's on Instagram or just like in passing, is. I wish I could travel more and I wish I could go to this place. And it's like, why can't you? You're, I see you going out and spending hundred dollars on a dinner. Yep. You know, if you want to actually travel, if that's a priority to you, you just got to get your priorities in order. You got to set a budget. You got to cut back on spending. You know, you can do it. And maybe it doesn't mean going and staying on a five-star hotel in this place. Like, go stay in a hostel. Like you'll meet even cooler people that way. Rough it. And it'll be cheaper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a better experience. Yeah. I was listening to your Art of Visuals podcast and, and we were talking about a little bit about this before we jumped on this, this podcast about how your dad passed away. And again, I want to say like, that's really awful. And I'm very sorry that happened to you. Um, Appreciate that. I wanted to ask you about how important it is to have not just friends and family who are there to support you during adversity, whether it's a breakup or a family death or whatever, but also having a creative outlet or a purpose to put your effort into in such in such a t- 
terrible time. Maybe you can shine some light on how photography or whatever creative aspect was there for you during, during such a difficult time. So when my dad passed away, um, it was basically two months after I had graduated from college. Uh, he had pancreatic cancer, had it for about a year and a half. So, you know, I knew it was coming, um, right. which you know, it was, in a way it was a blessing. It gave me time to say the things I needed to say. And I got to spend like good quality time with them um, leading up to the end. So like, I didn't have any regrets on that, but uh, at that time I wasn't into photography so I didn't really have that creative outlet. Um, I kind of just relied on uh, my friends and my family at that time to kind of be the escape that I needed. Right. Um, but it then, like, about what would it be like three years down the road? It led me into photography. I was still I was just missing having this creative outlet, and I had remembered my dad was really big into traveling and he would take photos. I mean, he was, my dad was a little bit older. He was, he was 50 when I was born. So he was actually born in 1939. So he, um, yeah, he was in the Navy and traveled all around the Mediterranean and would take like pictures on like film and cameras and have like, yeah. And have slideshows. And I remember him coming into my sixth grade, um, social studies class with like a a projector and slide (laughs) and like film slides showing his, yeah. Showing his photos of these places in the Mediterranean. I always just was fascinated by that stuff. And, uh, right. so then I, when I finally picked up the camera, it kind of felt like, and that, and then I got out into nature, which my dad was also big with boy Scouts with me. Mm-hmm. It, it just kind of was like a way for me to feel reconnected with it because, That's awesome. uh, Letchworth state park is the like big one around here for us. And that's, I used to go camping there all the time. Uh, with my dad. And so to go back there now and have a bigger, like a better appreciation for it now than I did then is just like a nice way for me to reconnect um, with him. And then, yeah. And then just like now, now that I have photography as my creative outlet, you know, when I go through something difficult, like, you know, I went through a decent breakup last year after you get past that like kind of morning period or whatnot, there's still you, you get when you go out and do photography, and this is the same for any creative outlet, whether it's music or painting or something, you you basically immerse yourself into mm-hmm. what you're right. You're you're so focused on you know playing or writing that song or painting that uh, picture or taking the photo of that landscape that you kind of forget about everything else that's going on. You know, you just put your phone away and it's just you, your camera for that moment. And you're not just snapping photos away, right? Like you're, you're sitting there and just watching the light and the clouds move, waiting for that perfect moment. And then you take a photo mm-hmm. and it's just a, it's like a big escape. It's like the perfect escape for me. And then yeah. travel, and then you do traveling on top of it and you go to a, whole different like part of the country or part of the world and you just completely forget about everything back at home because it's just yeah. it's like you're in a whole nother world it's subconscious soul searching <laughs> just going out and doing these things is is a method of healing can relate to you in the 
the breakup sense. And you know, that's, that's tough when stuff like that happens and you need to take your two months too, or however long you need to take just to be sad and, and sulk for a bit, but then you need to snap out of it after a point and, and immerse yourself in whatever it is you're passionate about. Maybe it's painting, maybe it's writing, maybe it's working on cars, but coming out of that stuff, just, I think it really makes you stronger and I think it makes it more easy to identify where your passions lie. I know for me, you could not get me out of Lightroom. You could not get me away from behind my camera after my breakup. I was just, that's all I wanted to do. That's all I cared about. And six months later, four months, I don't even remember, man. But I was just a new man. And I just had a whole new fire under me that I would honestly attribute to that. A hundred percent. I think for me during that, that breakup I did was one of the biggest like soul searching moments. Right. Basically in my life, I, you know, I had a vision of what I thought the next, what my life was going to look like. And then in a matter of, you know, snap of a finger, it's completely different. And you sit there and think about, you know, what went wrong? Um, like, what did you, like, you can think about like you can blame the other person, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like that's not going to change. The only thing you can change now is what yourself. So I reflected on what I did wrong in that relationship and what led to, you know, ultimately the breakup and just really started working on that. Right. And, you know, I went through that like two month span kind of, of just like, mm-hmm feeling like complete trash, not wanting to do really anything. And then you, 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 you need to move on. You need to overcome it because what are you going to do? Just sit and sulk for the rest of your life. Like some people not- do, man, some people do. And it's a tragedy. You really, you really got to take it upon yourself to, we were talking about this before having ownership for both your failures in life and both your successes in life. If you start to adapt the mindset that, this success was because of me and this failure was because of me, you will be a much stronger person and a person with much more character. Yeah. And if you take the mindset of like this extreme ownership, which you were talking about in a book I'm reading. Yeah. What um, book is that? Tell everyone. It's called extreme ownership by Jocko Willett, a former U S Navy seal. It's a amazing book. He basically is now a, business consultant and goes works for like major corporations on helping kind of build mm-hmm. um, leadership and mindset in companies in uh, the, in the like leadership teams. And he, his overall philosophy is you need to take ownership for everything, right? If you're the manager of a team and somebody messes up on the team, you don't blame them. You're like, you know what? this is my fault. Maybe, uh, I didn't articulate what my, uh, point was, what I needed to have done. So that's on me. Not only is that good for yourself, but then, you know, you, you earn respect in that way too. And the, the thing like I take from that is if you take complete ownership of everything, that gives you the mindset that you are now in control. Like the, the worst feeling I have is when I feel like I can't control something. Right. Not in like a bad way, right? Like, if you feel like every like something is out of your control, it's just like a terrible feeling and you start blaming other people. 
But if you have the mindset that I can control my life, you're just more confident. And yes. Okay. Like it's just, it's up to me now. Even you were saying things you can't control. For example, your dad passing away, that wasn't something that was out of your control, but the way you responded to it, that's where you have the control. And there was something really interesting you said when you were telling us that story that I just want to touch on too, because I liked hearing you say it. You found a positive in that, man. You said it was a blessing because I got to spend more time. I think that's what we're talking about here. Whether you consciously did it or not, you shifted your mindset to control the situation and find something, anything good you could have taken from that. So I, I, I always knew that my dad was older than most. So it was actually a pretty big fear of mine to lose him at a young age. Um, I think I started having that fear around like maybe nine or 10 years old. So then when I like ultimately was faced with it, I just like, I I took advantage of everything I could. Like at at first, the point I was actually going to make is I remember thinking I'd rather have somebody pass away instantly on me. So I don't have to like deal with the long-term like feeling of like knowing something's coming. Right. Right. That I, completely disagree with now. Like I would never want that because Mm. to not be able to say goodbye or to have the the last conversation you had with somebody be maybe an argument or something like, you know, would be, I don't even know how much, like what I would do if that was a situation for me, honestly. And I haven't even told many people this. So, you know, this is an exclusive here. Um, The, the last words that my uh, the last things i ever said to my dad was i said i love you and that he and this was basically like the day before he passed away but you know very just unresponsive for the most part and he like kind of turned and looked at me and said to me i love you too everything will be okay last words my dad ever said to me so to have that to me is a blessing because wow. not a lot of people get that. Yeah, man, that, um, uh, that hit me hard. That's, uh, well, thank you for sharing that. That's wow. I know we're talking about, we mentioned fear there. You had that fear. Um, I was talking to you about this before we, we started recording was I kind of feel and you mentioned this in your AOV podcast too. I kind of feel that I have a finite amount of time as somebody in their mid twenties. That's like very young, and I'm aware of that. And you're 29 as well. You're very young as well. But I feel like I have a finite amount of time to explore the world and travel and see things before I want to, because I want to have a family, right? And typically speaking, in our society, that happens around. Everyone's different, but maybe early 30s, 30 maybe 35. It's different for everyone. But still, I feel like there's that window of time and there's that pressure. Is this something you face too? Because I remember you mentioning that that's something you want someday too, right? Like you want to have a family and do stuff. Do you think that it's going to come with a sacrifice? Yeah, it's definitely something I think a lot about because I definitely want to have both. I don't want to give up traveling and I don't want to give up photography. But I want a family. I want kids. You know, I don't like the idea of, and and I know kids aren't for everybody. I completely understand that. 
but yeah. I also don't want to be, you know, the 70 year old guy whose wife just potentially, you know, passed away or something like that. And now I'm completely alone. I have no kids, no grandkids. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just something like, like I need like people around me, I guess. Um, and I just want that experience to raise kids, you know, to kind of like yeah. impart your wisdom and your knowledge that you've accumulated in your life onto somebody else. Um, of course. But I think it comes back to that idea of if, the, if you want something, you just need to prioritize on how to do it. So I know I've heard of people that travel with their kids all the time. Like there's no reason that if I have three, four weeks of vacation time that I can't take trips with my kids instead of just staying home. And that's the other thing. Like you got to determine what type of trips do you want to take? Do you want to go spend 15 grand and go to Disney world? (laughs) Right. You look like a guy who wants to go to Disney world. Oh yeah. I'm going to put the photograph Mickey Mouse. You can get a portrait of Daisy. Dude, I can go to Epcot and see every country in one day. I can go to. Did all I say the Daisy? I meant to say Minnie. That's how out of the loop I am. Isn't Isn't Daisy um, Donald Duck's wife? There you go, Daisy Duck. There, you're close. Yeah, you're close. <laughs> but yeah, no, like, dude, it's so expensive, and you could use that money instead and go to somewhere else, like, and take an actual adventure trip with your kids. Like, they don't need you. Don't need to go to Disney World or something. like Right. I guess there's a lot of people who are hoping for it because you're talking about, yeah, it's easy for me to do the three to four week trips with my kids. And yes, I agree. But like, what if you're a full time photographer, right? Like, what if you're getting paid by travel agencies to go around and and photograph Bali and you're getting paid to photograph Iceland? That's where I'm worried about because that's something I want to strive towards, right? Is yeah, on to the next place, on to the next place. But I also want that family life too. So I'm currently trying to figure out how you were talking about things can change obviously, but trying to map your life in a certain way. So you know who Chris Burkhardt is obviously, right? Yeah. He and his wife put out a podcast um, a couple months ago. It's on Spotify under Chris Burkhardt studios. And they literally talk on this subject because he travels so much for photography and his wife, I forgot if she has a job or not, but basically she stays home with the kids Oh, so he's out traveling. They're not ripping around as a family. No, but he does try to do cer- certain trips he will plan to do with his kids. But he, he said like, you know, he's big into the Arctic surfing scene. Oh, yeah. And so he's like, I'm not going to take my wife and my kids on a trip to the middle of uh, Iceland in February with like six uh, dudes who haven't showered in a week and. Like they're not going to want to go on that. Right. So like he does those, but then he will do less aggressive trips as well for work where he can have his kids come with them or right. have his wife come with them. So he like, he prioritizes that. Right. And he's at a point in his career where he can kind of dictate that. So, right. I mean, if that's, if that's your, your goal, I think like you got to use that time you have now to establish Exactly. You know, that type of career. Because to get into photography or any sort of like creative um, field and make it full time, to get into that at a later point in life, once you already have a wife and you already have kids and you already have a full time job, that's a lot harder because you already have an income. You're already supporting a family, right? So 
It's a lot harder to start from scratch in a sense. Exactly. But if you already have that established and actually, if you listen to the Chris Burkhardt one, he did exactly against what I'm talking about. He are, he got married at like 19 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he was in school to be a mechanic. Wow. And he just like, I forgot exactly, but he basically bought a camera, which is going down to the beach. Uh, Cause he lives in California just taking photos of surfers and just fell in love with it and basically told his wife, like, I want to quit school and pursue photography. Right. So he had his whole life mapped out that he was going to be like this mechanic. Uh, that's where their money was going to come from. And then he just threw a complete 180 to a field that can be very hard to make money, let alone make a full-time career and support a family yeah man that takes a lot of courage and i mean people are going to change what they want out of their lives all the time like i went to school i did four years in marketing management and then wasn't what i wanted to do i did two years as an audio engineer and realized that's not what i want to do and the one thing that stuck through the whole time that never left me was photography and it was after that two years of audio engineering like yeah okay this is really this is my calling um i'll do other things to make money while I build this business or this brand, this personal brand. But uh, it's okay to not know what you want. It's okay to change your mind. I think people get so committed to, I've put all this time and effort and money into this. I have to do this now. It's like, no, here's an interesting way to look at it. And it goes back to feeling in control. I would have never known that I didn't want to be a marketing, a marketing manager. I didn't want to be an audio engineer had I not done the programs. I would have always asked myself. I would have always wondered. Now I'll never wonder. Yeah, you can always go back and rely on that degree. Absolutely. You you know, it's interesting for for me because I work in finance and I've been in my career for... You're an analyst, right? Yeah, financial analyst. Um, Basically seven years now, something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm doing really well. And I'm, I'm in the field that I studied for and it's hard to think about quitting that. Right. And kind of giving up that income, the benefits, you know, the 401k matches, the bonuses, like all that kind of right. stuff. And also it like in, in finance, it's like kind of known that if you leave the field and try and come back, like it's, really hard to kind of get back to where you were. You won't be welcomed with open arms type of thing. Yeah. People look down upon like <laughs> the, uh, live free mentality people, right? Like that want to just go out. And... Right. I remember us interviewing, uh, somebody who said they took like a year and a half off for traveling. And, uh, one of the managers was like, like, are we sure we want somebody that might just like leave on the drop of a hat? You know what I mean? So like, I got to think about that. So right. I think for me going full-time photography, which is 100% something I've been considering for a long time, I look at it more from an analytical standpoint and I need to set myself up to not ever have to go back. I don't want to rely on having that degree. Like I can, and, but I think when you have that safety net in the back of your mind, mm-hmm. plan B, yeah, it might not push you as hard. I thrive when I have no other option, like, and most and humans do, like, it's just our natural instinct. It's when your back's against you the need, wall. 
yeah, you need to survive. Absolutely. And that, and that pushes you to a new level. So I agree with that. Yeah. And that's like the greatest segue ever that you set up for me because I want to talk about you're in finance and I've been getting into this a lot recently. I've been wanting to learn more about wealth management and how to start finding ways to make my money, make money for me by, by investing it correctly and making sure I'm not taking advice from some idiot on YouTube. Cause there's a million of those who think they know everything, you know, finding sound financial advice and capital capitalizing on my mid twenties of, of compounding interest for the sole reason of if I'm able to put a little bit of money aside and invest it properly, do well in the markets, it will allow me 15 years from now to potentially live whatever kind of life I want to live and not have to worry about what kind of career I need to to feed my family. I don't know. It's not really a question. It's just something that maybe you can weigh in on that. It's it's just something that I've, I've wanted to take upon myself. Yeah. I think financial health is, it's extremely important for everybody, regardless of what your um, profession is. You want to be you know, making your money work for you. You want to be managing your finances very well because, you know, financial health can be just as, a, as important as your, your physical health. And I don't mean like financial health as in the sense of being like super wealthy, right? Like right. you don't have to make a lot of money to be financially okay. The, the biggest rule in, a, in like anything when it comes to that is spend less than you make. Which, right. because of things like credit cards, is very hard for some people to do. And I can tell you, yeah. one of the worst debts, one of the worst debts you can get into is credit card debt. Absolutely, because of the interest is just absolutely insane. It, it is important to invest and do it financially. You know, the one thing that people need to know is investing. No matter what you do, there's still a ri- an inherent risk. Of course, but it's the level of it's the level of risk you're willing to take and. When you're younger, you have the ability to be a little bit more risky. But with that, you know, more risk can bring more reward. Bigger the risk, bigger the reward. We've all heard right. that before. I feel like time's on your side, though, as somebody who's a bit younger, right? Like, what's the worst case that happens? If you're starting with $2,000 and you lose it, big fucking deal. You know, it's not yeah. your retirement. In a worst case, we don't want to lose money, right? But in a worst case, it's not the end of the world. You shouldn't be investing and putting money like in the markets when you you're not in a good place to be doing it. You still need to be able to like to live as well. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're carrying debt, that is probably the one thing you want to concentrate on paying off before you start investing. Because let's say you have credit card debt mm-hmm. and you're carrying, you know, fifteen percent interest on that but you're you're putting like five hundred dollars a month into uh let's just say like mutual funds of some sort like a moderate risky mutual fund that's bringing you a return of three percent yeah the math you know easy (laughs) yeah like you need you you should pay off that debt first because you're you're losing money on that and that goes for like student loans you know in most scenarios the debt that we have now is going to the interest on that is more than likely going to outweigh the interest or the money you're going to make in the market. Unless you're unless you're killing really, it. really good. Yeah. yeah. And that's, 
but that takes a lot of that takes a lot of effort and a lot of time to do that. Like I think what we're talking about is a more passive thing where we can yeah. just kind of have it working for us, right? So over a long period of time, I'm not a fan. I don't. Right. I'm not a fan of get rich quick schemes because they don't they don't really work unless you're like some crazy ass day trader. But I'm talking about you right. know putting it putting a amount aside every time you get paid, whether that's on a contract base or every two weeks, whatever. I don't know what your career is, but that's not affecting your liquidity to pay your bills and just watching that grow over time. You might be surprised in 40 years, what kind of life you're or, sorry, not in 40 years in 15 years when you're 40, let's say about what kind of life you're able to live just because you were disciplined with your finances and you're managing your money correctly in your younger years, not even in yeah, your younger that, years. It's never too late to start anything. Right. Yeah. And it's, the, the 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 problem that I think a lot of younger people have, and like I've I've experienced this too to a certain extent, is this is like the age where we feel like we really need to be keeping up with people, whether it's through fashion or cars or mm-hmm. going out doing like that kind of stuff. So you see a lot of money being spent on that kind of stuff. So if you can like fight the urge to do that stuff, you can save a lot and especially for people in big cities like uh, a New York or a Toronto or LA where those cities usually demand a lot higher salaries. Like I have one of my best friends lives in New York and, you know, makes a decent amount of money, uh, especially for New York standards, but he's not really into the whole going out and eating at all these crazy restaurants. Mm-hmm. And his biggest expense is obviously his rent, which is astronomical. But but <laughs> yeah. he doesn't have a car, you know, he right. doesn't have the expenses of a car. So he's able to save so much money. Right. Because of that. Like and that you know, those are things he's done. And it's gonna allow you to live the life that you wanna live, relating this to photography. Exactly. It's gonna allow you to travel the places that you wanna go and it's gonna allow you to, you know, f- have the experiences that you want and not be stressed out about it. And I think that's how we can kind of tie exactly. this into that. And it's just like you said, it's being disciplined. I think we a lot of people lack discipline. Yeah, it's just unfortunate too that I think most of our education systems, maybe even around the globe, I don't know, but I know in the US, there's no real money management classes you no, take. No, and there should be. Yeah, I learned how to freaking square dance in yeah. high school, but they didn't yeah. tell teach me how to manage a checkbook or like manage... Yeah like set a budget, which is insane that I'm not talking about finances in the sense of like, what stock should I buy? What fund should I put my money into? Just like, like the difference kind of between a checking and savings account, even like you could teach kids yeah. that. <laughs> like yeah, that yeah. is a big deal. If you can instill that discipline in kids, like at least at, you know, high school at 16, when a lot of them start getting jobs mm-hmm. and they actually start making money, it shouldn't and even like it can go throughout like for me i was like right i I went to school for finance right and then my brother was off like uh was a cpa so it it was kind of instilled in me when i was young but a lot of people don't have that and even colleges if you go to school for chemistry you know you're not taking any sort of finance class right and some of these people like that carry these crazy levels of debt from the school they go to you oh, know, yeah. they, they, they'll get, they'll get like, six, you know, six figures worth of debt 
but no one will teach him how to pay it back when they're done. Yeah. That's crazy. So, well, man, I know we ended on finance, which is kind of weird. We kind of tailed off there, but it's definitely relevant to photography because it's going to let you have the experiences you want to have. And it's going to let you see the places you want to see. And it's going to let you buy the gear you want to buy. Exactly. Because photography is expensive. It's an expensive hobby or career or whatever you're doing with it. But man, thank you for coming on the show. Even though we tailed off a bit there at the end, I think it's really relevant. And I want everybody to go check out Adam's work. It's on Instagram. It's at Adam R Danny, A-D-A-M-R-D-A-N-N-I. His work is honestly some of the best I've ever seen. I'm a huge and genuine fan, but thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks a lot, man. This was a lot of fun. Is there anything else you want to, you want to say to anybody or what about your Buffalo mafia thing that you're starting? Yeah. So uh, me, Brad and our buddy, Mike, uh, are starting we have started kind of a little photography club based here in buffalo just a way for like-minded people to get together and talk about photography and get out on shoots together and maybe make some new friends which seems to be uh taking off so far and it's a playoff you know the buffalo mafia for all the bills fans go bills by the way um <laughs> and we call it the buff photo mafia so oh there you go yeah well it's important to network and get out and, and meet new people so absolutely anyways man thank you for coming on the show thanks a lot man i really appreciate it hey guys thanks for listening to this episode of the photographer mindset podcast you can be sure to stay up to date with my weekly episodes by following the podcast on spotify apple podcasts or whatever you happen to be using next week i'm joined by ian jones a pittsburgh pennsylvania photographer who's more urban themed so we're switching it up He's also sponsored by Tamron, so I'm going to be asking him questions about how he landed that gig, among other things. So until then, go get shooting, go get editing, and stay focused. See you next time.